Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familias Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I am absolutely thrilled to introduce today's guest, June Smalls, who will be talking with us about her upcoming book, Hear Them Roar, 14 Endangered Animals from Around the World. This is so exciting. June, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, and before we dive into Hear Them Roar, which I wish we had the book with us so we could touch on it and hear the 14 animals make their sounds. Before we talk about that book, tell us a little bit about what makes you, you. Well, I am a book nerd and I have been since before I have memory. I just always was one of those kids that had a book in hand that was happiest going on a trip to the library. I swear the librarian when I was in kindergarten just kept giving me stacks of the Little Miss and Little Mr. Books just to shut me up, I'm sure. And I didn't even realize how much books were a part of my life until I started writing. And I just, I can't imagine a time where I didn't have them. Mm, Lovely. So when did you start writing? I've always written. I loved writing stories even as a child. I got serious about thinking of sharing my work with the world probably back in 2013. That's when I joined the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators and started looking for critique groups. And, you know, I met people through the SCBWI and started really researching traditional publishing. And and I always knew I wanted to go that route just because I was afraid I might not have been as good as I thought I was. And I did not want to wear all the hats of sales and marketing and shipping. And I just wanted to make sure I went the traditional route. But it took about five or six years before I really got my foot in the door. Excellent. Excellent. And so you have right now at least three books under your belt, right? Yes, actually six or seven out in the world. Six or seven out in the world. Okay. (laughs) Give us a little overview of those books. I know we've talked about She Leads, which Mm -hmm. is just a top-notch book. I love it to pieces. So tell us just briefly about your other work. So you mentioned She Leads. That's part of a series. So we have He Leads, which is about the mountain gorilla. And then the follow-up book for that will be out in fall, They Lead, which is about the gray wolf pack. So we have different leaders and different family structures throughout the animal kingdom. My first books were written for the educational market. So straight to libraries, you know, things about Celtic mythology and prairie dogs. And then I have Odd Animal ABCs, which was a fun, odd animals taking over the alphabet and letting the classic animals finally get a vacation. Ah, there we go. I like, I like that. I like, they all sound fabulous, including the ones that went straight to libraries. So let's now move to focus on Hear Them Roar, 14 endangered animals from around the world, even though I would love to dive into the She Leads, He Leads, They Lead series, because (laughs) Just, just fabulous. But so tell us what brought you to write Hear Them Roar. Well, I was working with Familius on the lead series and they actually said that they had this idea for a sound book and would I be interested and could I have any ideas about sounds and endangered animals? 
So then I said, absolutely, even though I had no clue what I was going to do. And then it was wonderful that they just said, hey, here's our idea, endangered animals and actual sounds that they make. So I researched, initially, I want to say it was 16 or 17 different animals and gave them just a very brief, here's what I'd like to do. Here's, I wanted to make sure I found animals from each continent and different species, wanted animals in the water, animals in the sky, animals on the earth. I wanted everything. And they said, absolutely love it. Here's what we'll do. But the cool thing with a novelty book, so this one has sound bites, but we couldn't get all the sound bites we wanted for all of the original animals, which I had figured might've been a thing, which is why I picked more than 14 initially. But we ended up having to then research another three or four animals to make sure that we could get proper sound bites. And it's amazing because some animals are so rare that even though we've had them in captivity, we don't have any recorded sounds for them. Oh my. We have written words about how they sound, but no recordings. Give me an example, please. There was an ungulate, a type of deer in China, I believe. At oh, what was the name of that one? Now it's been, you know, a year and a half since I've even looked at that. But yes, they are so rare that they're found in the mountains. They had one in captivity briefly, but it was before they had recording devices available. Now everybody has it on their phones. But back then they had to wait for a scientist to come to the village and, and see where these animals were and what they sounded like. And then there's some animals that are aquatic and they only make sounds when they're brought out of the water and to get quality sounds, you just couldn't, we couldn't find them. Oh, how complicated more than you would think. But even when you mentioned that type of deer in China, I am around deer and I have never heard one make a sound. You know, they haven't heard those grunts. No, no. I hear them rustling through the leaves and, and I see them, but I've never so very interesting. You're making me think. Yes. Yep, dear. They, they all have vocalizations. We just don't hear them much. Ah, I like this. So I'm going to put you on the spot. So be prepared. All right. To make a sound, since we don't have the book here, I'd like you to describe your favorite animal of the 14, but you must be able to make the sound for us. Oh, my, my <laughs> sounds are going to be wonderful. Just wonderful. So we have the rhinoceros makes a number of sounds, but have you ever heard a baby rhinoceros? They squeal, they go, no. and they make these little tiny sounds that should be coming out of a much smaller animal, not something that's a giant iron, practically a tank, but it's, it is, and they, they make these tiny little squeals and they're adorable. They also do big grunts and trumpets and stuff, but... Now, I like this very much. Thank you, June. One more time with that darling little sound. <laughs> and that is the sound of what kind of rhinoceros? So both the, the white and the black rhino will make sounds like that. Like that. And this is a baby. And how old is that baby when it makes that sound? And how old about when it stops? That's a good question. So they can make those vocalizations pretty much immediately. But I don't know when they stop making those particular sounds. I might have to research that a little bit more. And it, they were so fun to research. And, and even just in research where you're just all over the internet trying to find sounds for these animals. And I'm sure my family was constantly poking their head in going, what is that sound? What are you doing? Now, the white and the black rhinos 
are they both endangered? I know the, I believe the white are certainly. Yes, I believe all rhinos are endangered. Uh, Unfortunately, okay. poaching is the biggest issue there. Yes, very unfortunate. And despite all the effort they put into stopping poachers, it's not going well, but I appreciate that you're going through your work. You're going to really highlight that for the general public so that we can do whatever we can to support endangered species. And that's the great part about this book. You know, all of these are endangered animals, which could be very disheartening, but each section of the book, this is this is a very browsable book, has what we're doing to help. So it can be as simple as educating So here in the United States, deer shed their antlers, but maybe they don't know all over the world that elephants do not shed their tusks. Those are just giant teeth. So they might not even realize that an animal has to die in order to get those tusks. So just a simple education is is sometimes the biggest help there. Absolutely. And it's interesting you call it simple education because it's cloaked in a children's book, so to speak. But to Mm -hmm. me, that type of education is ginormous because you're reaching the child who's reading the book, that child's friends, the parents, the teachers, the schoolmates. It's just incredible the impact that you can make from one simple teaching of a children's book. That is my absolute hope. Exponential. So In your mind, how do you see that books about families, the animal families, the extinct animals, and all of that as a package, how can this make families happier? How does this impact families, human families, I mean? So I think the best thing when we look at animal families is that we see that there's no one way to be a perfect family. And there's some animals that are solitary, that are only with their parents as the first couple years where they're growing and then they're solitary. And then there's the the cotton top tamarin, which is one of the creatures in this book. They almost always have twins. And the family is alloparents. So even ones, it's not just the father of these two babies, but cousins and others in the troop will carry one or both of the twins to give the moms a break and then just give them back to mom for feeding. So they have a whole village raises a, a child, so to speak. It takes a village. Uh, so, and then, you know, with elephants, there are all the females that are related living together while the males might be solitary or in bachelor groups. There's just so many different ways, but we can still learn how they take care of each other, how they support each other, how they protect each other. And it's beautiful. And again, I say it's it's simple because for some animals, it is just a simple bond. And we can see that there's no, it's just natural and it just is what it is. And so that's a simple thing to put in front of a child. See, it just is. These families are different and they still work. Yes. And it sounds as if these families, like you were saying with the tamarind, right? That there mm-hmm. is the capacity for us to not only see different ways of doing things th- through the animal world, but realizing we can incorporate those into our own lives in beneficial ways because sometimes it does take more than a single mom or a mom and dad or a single dad to raise a child, that it is normal and natural to need a lot of support. And I think most families do. They need the support, they need the community, and it's okay to the elephants. They lean on their cousins and their aunties, and everybody helps. The wolves, the red wolf, the gray wolf, they 
the older siblings will babysit the younger siblings while the parents are hunting for food. There's so many different ways to be a family and to help each other. And you touched on a really important piece because in Familius, as you know, there are 10 habits of a healthy family and you are touching very naturally on some of the most important ones like learning together, working together, healing together. Well, of course, reading together, laughing together. My favorite. Yes. There are so many elements in when we look at the animal world where they're doing, it is about togetherness and working together and being part of a family. And it sounds like that makes these animals much happier, like human animals as well. (laughs) Absolutely. And the things that they do to bond may be different. And many primates will groom each other. Social grooming is important. Many animals play together, especially the young. They wrestle, they romp, Mm -hmm. they pick up sticks. And they're, I mean, elephant babies will pick up sticks and toss them back and forth. And the play together is just as important as the working together. Absolutely. And I thank you for emphasizing that because we often forget in today's busy world, the importance of playing together. There's a tendency to go off on your cell phone here and into your computer there or this hobby. But when we do it together as a family and really play together, read together, that's so bonding as it is when you were, you were saying, you know, how animals groom each other and you watch monkeys and they're picking at each other and, and mm-hmm. how important it is for us as humans when we think back and, oh, mom brushed my hair or dad would give me hugs and we brushed our teeth together in the bathroom, that sort of thing. We do so many things naturally and can do more of them that mimic the animal world that would be really good for us. Absolutely. And And I think sometimes there's so much pressure to not play, to read the next level up or to challenge ourselves with the next grade up. Like every kid's got to be advanced, but play, just play is important. And I don't think I'd be the writer that I am if it wasn't for that childlike wonder and play. I like to research these animals and watch the videos. I like to go to the zoos and just giggle over their antics. Play and laughter is just as important as being advanced and and that next level up for all the work, work, work we do. I 100% agree with you. I would rather help support a child to be a B student who's happy and well-rounded than an A student who is stressed and anxious and unhappy. So I'm with you on that. Play and laughter are so important. So when you come, let's circle back to the reading because that's what you love and you help children read because of what you offer and you help families read. What do you see? As some of the biggest gifts of reading, of children's books, of the work you do? Well, I've always loved children's books. So even when I was in middle school and yeah, I was reading chapter books and books that were probably a little too old for me, but hey, I had free reign at the library. But I still (laughs) love to pick up the children's books. I still love to look at the pictures and the art. And I still just love to giggle at the silly antics and to read Garfield, even though it was simpler. And That made me a happy reader. So I was always happy to pick up the more complex books. And I I always said I hated nonfiction. When I was a kid, I hated nonfiction. Nonfiction is boring, except for animal books because animal facts were fun and cool and animal pictures were just fun. So I tricked myself into reading nonfiction because I found the nonfiction that was fun, but then it stuck with me my whole life. I still love animal facts. I still just 
I get a little thrill when I learn something new and crazy and weird. And I think that's important for kids to discover and that reading what interests you, finding a topic that interests you. For me, it was animals or those books where kids are alone on a mountainside fending for themselves and how they worked with nature. That thrilled me. And so it it made it so much easier for me to pick up the next book and the next book and the next book. Mm, and you're right. It definitely has stuck with you for <laughs> all of these years. So what do you think are some of the key lessons that you can offer to our listeners today about the importance of reading for family togetherness, family happiness, having parent and child, caregiver and child reading together? I think it's vitally important. Even if you are not reading the same book together, I do remember sitting down and I'm reading my book and my mother was on the other couch reading her book. And childhood and families, sometimes they're messy. Sometimes it's not always perfect, but those moments of peace and then those moments of sharing a giggle from, hey, look at this book here. Even if it was she and I were reading Calvin and Hobbes and passing the books back and forth for which little comic strip was the funniest one. It's a way to bond. It's a way to open and spark conversations. Sometimes the conversation might be about in-depth things like leadership or power, where the power in the animal kingdom comes from. And it might be simple things like what, how do they stay warm in the winter? Or do they sleep? Do they stay awake? It could be whatever sparks our interest, but learning together in that way. There's a way to just have organic conversations. You can lead them. There's there's bridges from one book to another book or bridges from one topic or conversation to another. And I think that that's a wonderful thing to have because there's no pressure. It's not sitting down. We need to have a conversation to learn about leadership or coaching. It's just a, a gentle, hey, what did you think about this? Or they might pop up with a, well, what happens here? What can we do? My daughter read a book about sharks and then found out about finning. And we don't live anywhere near an ocean, not anywhere near an ocean, but she made no finning posters to spread around her elementary school. <laughs> and But it was a good topic. And it taught us that, yeah, that world can be ugly, but we can do something about it, even if it was just sharing it with the other kids at her school. I really love that. And you hit a couple of the things that I find so important about your work because you're using animals in a very positive way to highlight how important they are for the world, but also how we are similar to animals. And sometimes by people seeing those similarities, they become more engaged, right? And so when you you were talking about things being messy and essentially talking about curiosity and being able to adapt all things that we see in the animal world, the curiosity, the ability to adapt and the messiness so many of those three things, so many elements of that, we fight in the human world. We fight we the messiness. We sometimes fight the curiosity. We sometimes want to be, stay rigid and fight that need to adapt. But it seems as if from what you're saying that the animal world teaches us so much. But amongst all those things it teaches us, those elements like that, the curiosity, the adaptiveness, and the messiness, right? How important it is for us to embrace those elements in it our is, own and, lives. And some of those conversations are hard. And I think that's a good thing about nonfiction animal books is we're going to mention that there's birth, which is beautiful, and there's death, which is hard. And there's struggles. Those animals don't always eat every day. And sometimes that can open a conversation about 
Sure, different animals don't need to. A snake might only need to eat once a week or once a month. The wolves might only eat once every three days. And if they have to go a whole week, they'll binge on food. But sometimes that also talks about, hey, other kids in your school might be hungry and because people are don't always have the same things. And, and again, it, it can open those conversations. And it's hard. Sometimes we don't want to even let our little kids know, hey, that there's ickiness in the world and there's things that aren't pleasant. But animals are a little bit, it makes it a little easier to swallow than thinking about a friend that's hungry rather than thinking about a snake that's hungry. Yeah. But it's real and it's out there. And this is a gentle introduction to the messy bits. I like it put that way, a gentle introduction to the messy bits. And it (laughs) makes it, we can normalize that life is messy, that we can have a way we'd prefer it to be, but often it's not that. It's it's quite messy. (laughs) We can smile and laugh about that when we can. So are there any other pieces that you really want to highlight for our listeners today? Just to find books that do spark curiosity. For me, it's my animal books. I mentioned before, we've got the Leeds series, which I didn't write to initially to be about leadership and about what makes a good leader. It was just originally animal facts about an elephant, but then I accidentally wrote an amazing girl power book. So those little sparks of curiosity, when you follow them, then I found the gorilla patriarch and then I found the teamwork of the wolf pack and the breeding pair, which used to be called the alphas, but that's actually kind of a misnomer. If they're just the mom and dad, really. And follow those sparks of curiosity from one book to the next. And that's how you will be, build a reader. So I hope to have you back soon to talk more about your She Leads, He Leads, They Lead series. We had previously talked about She Leads, but it would be lovely to string those three together and focus on They Leads as well. I love the piece about alpha male or alpha team being a misnomer. Let's explore that. That'll be a fun one. So I also just want to mention before we go that I'd like to put you on the spot one more time with a, if I had that book and I could press that sound, what is one more animal sound you could make for us? Oh, let's see here. Which one? I mean, we have the ones that you know, elephants and tigers and wolves, but I love the, the little animals that chitter. So the flying fox has a little chitter, 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 chitter. I really am not good at this, but it's so fun. That was great because <laughs> I, you also helped me know I had no idea flying foxes were endangered. They are mega bats, but they are so important because they're just like butterflies and honeybees because they pollinate. They eat fruits and they eat the nectar out of the flowers and they when they eat the fruit they spread the seeds they are vitally important for their area they're endangered well thank you for that snippet i won't have you do all 14 animals but we did get a a hint of a flying fox a flying fox is actually a squirrel or no it's a bat Uh, no no it's It's a a bat bat. it's a mega bat flying Mm -hmm. fox is a mega bat okay they are adorable because they do look like they have little fox faces so if you're afraid of bats look up the flying fox eating a banana then you will never be afraid of bats again. (laughs) And a lovely note to end on. So June, thank you so much for being with us today. It's such such an incredible delight. And I'm so excited for your book that's coming out in the blink of an eye. So that's fabulous. Where can our listeners find you? They can find me at my website, which is junesmalls.com. I'm pretty active on Twitter and on Instagram. Both are June underscores small. And then anywhere books are sold. (laughs) 
Anywhere books are sold. Okay, listeners, that's June, J-U-N-E, Smalls, S-M-A-L-L-S. So thank you again, June. And to our audience, thank you. As we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, like the fabulous book we discussed today, Hear Them Roar, 14 Endangered Animals from Around the World, just be sure to visit us at Familius.com where you will find our Habit Hub blog, as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can and will make the world a happier place. I thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine, shine, shine as only you can do. (laughs) 